passing to sing of the Lord's boundless mercies, grace wide as the ocean, but that he fulfills his word. And that's what we find set before us as we see him suffer selflessly as the great king. In Luke chapter 23, verses 34 through 43, where our Lord Jesus indeed, through the sake of his own work, extends to one of the malefactors that blessed promise that indeed he will be remembered when he comes into his kingdom. Well, please turn with me to Luke chapter 23, and we read together verses 27 through 43. Luke chapter 23, considering verses 27 through 43. Hear the word of the Lord our God. And there followed him a great company of people and of women, which also bewailed and lamented him. But Jesus, turning unto them, said, Daughters of Jerusalem, weep not for me, but weep for yourselves and for your children. For behold, the days are coming in the which they shall say, Blessed are the barren and the wombs that never bear, and the paps which never gave suck. Then shall they begin to say to the mountains, Fall on us, and to the hills, cover us. For if they do these things in a green tree, what shall be done in the dry? And there were also two other malefactors led with him to be put to death. And when they were come to the place which is called Calvary, there they crucified him and the malefactors, one on the right hand and the other on the left. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them. For they know not what they do. And they parted his raiment and cast lots. And the people stood beholding. And the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar. And saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. And a superscription also was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. But the other answering rebuked him saying, Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same condemnation, and we indeed justly? For we receive the due reward of our deeds, but this man hath done nothing amiss. And he said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. Jesus said unto him, Verily I say unto thee, Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. And it was about the sixth hour, and there was a darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was darkened, and the veil of the temple was rent in the midst. Well, thus far our reading of God's word, and may the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ add his blessing to the reading of his word this afternoon. Well, it's a blessed thing to be able to gather together in freedom and sing the songs the Lord has given us and his people for hundreds of years. 
perhaps the Psalms better than anywhere else, though of course it's quite debatable, but perhaps better than anywhere else, we find our Lord Jesus portrayed in the riches and depth of his sufferings. And that's what we find set before us here. He is the royal sufferer. He is the great king. Boys and girls, I don't know if you noticed, I mentioned it to you by way of introduction, but in many different ways, well, three different ways, the Lord Jesus is referred to as royal, but we don't often think of it that way. The Lord Jesus is here called into question and challenged about his being the Christ. And the word Christ is not Jesus' last name. It is his title, Messiah, the Anointed One. The kings were anointed with oil, as were the priests. But this directly concerns his power, what he could or couldn't do, who he is or isn't, and the demonstration of that, even as the charge hangs on the cross. Indeed, as he's told in verse 35, the rulers also with them derided him, saying, He saved others, let him save himself, if he be Christ, the chosen of God, if he is the anointed one, if he is the king and the great deliverer and the savior of his people, come down off the cross, save yourself. The soldiers also mocked him, coming to him, offering him vinegar and saying, if thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. If you're this marvelous Messiah with this power to save, save yourself. And then the superscription says, in Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews. And if it wasn't bad enough, the ruler, the religious rulers of the people the soldiers, the sign, and even the malefactor railed on him saying, if thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And then beautifully, despite all the mockery, even the other malefactor has to emphasize this time in faith that this is the great king. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord Jesus as the mighty deliverer and the great king, though he is just mocked for it, promises what only he and his kingliness as the Christ could give. Today shalt thou be with me in paradise. He provides deliverance in the work on the cross for this malefactor, though he's mocked for this very same thing he is doing. He is truly a selfless royal Sufferer, And we see this first in his forgiving his executioners. The whole section is all about his royal standing, even though sadly those mocking him don't understand it. But as we'll see, the, the last malefactor does. But the first revelation of this selfless sufferer in the midst of his actual crucifixion is his forgiving his executioners. Beginning at verse 34. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Boys and girls, what has just happened is something that is physically excruciating. In the verse before it, And when they were come to the place, which is called Calvary, 
They were crucified him and the malefactors, the one on the right hand and the other on the left. I don't know if you know much about crucifixion, but it's a horrible, horrible way to die. Like we saw this morning, the Lord Jesus is so nigh beaten to death, he can't even carry his own cross. Someone has to carry it for him. And then he is so selfless, he turns and looks at those who are weeping and warns them of the serious danger they are in, though he's the one to go to die. And now he has just been crucified. There's different descriptions of the actual act of crucifixion, but it's often with the driving of the nail through the wrist, which then shoves the nerve or pinches the nerve so the thumb is shoved through the hand. And they've even found even found archaeological evidence where the thumb is actually shoving out from between the other bones. That happens when the nail is driven through the wrist. The nail is driven through, sometimes you'll see at the top of the feet, other times they had it through by the ankles, so instead of the feet being down, they're sideways. But in either case, not only is the pain great, but there's no way to bear your own weight. So as your hands are nailed and tied to the top part of the cross and your feet are stationary, you hang forward. And that not only causes the tearing of the flesh, and you can imagine what that does to your muscles, but it also causes you to suffocate. Because all your weight falls forward and it's much more difficult for your diaphragm to move so you can't breathe and you wish to breathe, you must pull yourself up with your arms against the nails through your wrists and your thumbs through your hands, take a breath and fall down. That's why it could take hours to die on the cross. It was excruciating. And when people did not die quickly enough, that's why they broke their legs. So they could no longer pull themselves up anymore push off even though they were pushing off the nails to get a breath and they simply suffocate that is what he is experiencing physically but that is nothing compared to the wrath of his father that is being poured out upon him it is in the midst of his sufferings he does something marvelously selfless just like when he looked at the women hearing them weep for him, he looks at them and warns them. So here, he forgives these executioners. Though they are ignorant, and though what they are doing is absolutely lethal to him. He forgives them. He forgives them, though they're ignorant, and though what they're doing is very lethal. Now we need to clear something up. There are brothers and sisters in the Lord who think somehow the Lord Jesus is speaking to everyone of all time and all places. And that is simply not true. The Lord Jesus is not saying that every person that ever lived would be forgiven. He is not making that type of prayer. That is simply not the words that are spoken. What is it that he says? He says... Father, forgive them. Forgive who? For they know not what they do. 
In the original, it's very clear that the ones who are forgiven and the ones who know not what they do are the ones who are actually physically crucifying him. Those are the ones who are parting the raiment and casting lots. They did the one they did the work of the crucifixion. They're the ones who hoisted him up and put the cross in place. They're the ones that had nailed him to it. And these men are going about their work as public executioners. And as he hangs there naked, they are casting lots for his clothing. It is for them he prays. Some people think, well, that's, that's, just, that's just too bad because it would be so much better if Jesus wanted everyone to be saved because that's perhaps how they grew up reading the text. But let us not despise the reading of God's word. Think about what this says. Here are these men who are doing the most horrible thing in the universe. They are taking the Son of God in the flesh who was innocent and they are executing him. Even Pilate said it was unjust. And then one could say they're simply doing their duty. But what a horrible duty to be done. Now, maybe you think you're a big sinner. Maybe you think you're a really bad person. Maybe you take an inventory of the thoughts you've had, the desires of your heart. You think of the sins you've done. Maybe for some of you who are all 60, 70, 80, older, you think about all the sin. And maybe sometimes the devil comes with those sins and says, how could God accept someone like you? How could God forgive you? Well, let me ask you a simple question. Do you think the Lord Jesus couldn't forgive? Wouldn't forgive you? You think he wouldn't intercede on behalf of his Father for you? If he will do it for the ones that drove the nails into his flesh tied his arms and feet to the cross as he suffocated to death? We must be gripped by the power of our sin. That was the problem like we saw this morning. They were weeping for him when they should have been weeping for themselves. They were ignorant of what was going on and the Lord Jesus warned them of what was to come. And if you, in the name of conviction and sin and piety, reject the Lord Jesus Christ, or foolishly, though you may never mean to, despise his work and esteem it so small that either his ability or his character is not one to save a sinner like you, you're not getting it. These words may not be meant for everyone But what a glorious thing it's meant for people like you. People who crucified the Lord of glory. And just like the intercession of this great priest king, like we heard in the Sunday school after the order of Melchizedek, is sufficient to cleanse the men that pounded the nails into his flesh, it is certainly sufficient to cleanse your sins too. 
no matter how great you may think they may be. No, he is forgiving to his executioners in their ignorance and in the midst of all their lethality. Some people may say, well, you know, they were ignorant. I knew what I was doing. I knew what I was doing when I had that thought. I knew what I was doing when I took that action. I knew what I was doing. Jesus is having pity on them because of their ignorance. I wasn't ignorant. It can be tempting to think that. But what's more important is the Father knows. The Father knows. After all, it's not the Lord Jesus Christ to whom we must first and foremost answer, but ultimately we could say to the Father. That's why the Lord Jesus says, Father, forgive them. And further, which one of us has the full depth of understanding of the significance of our sin? Is any one of us able to stand before an all-knowing God and say, I understand the significance of what I have done? I have yet to meet any sinner, regardless of any kind of sin, even any child of God, who foolishly in the midst of the battle between the flesh and the spirit and the struggles against the flesh, sided with the flesh, and whether they thought they wouldn't get caught, whether they thought the consequences wouldn't get, be that bad, or they misevaluated the results in light of the momentary pleasure of the sin, when the consequences of it come, even they'll say, I was a fool, and I didn't realize it. I was a fool, and I didn't realize it. I was blinded by the lust. I was blinded by the pride. I was blinded by the pleasure. Or in other words, I was ignorant. We know the Lord Jesus isn't praying for all people. But there's no people this couldn't be. And if he's gloriously willing and powerfully able to save the people who executed him upon the cross, my sinful friend, he can save you. It's beautiful. Then said Jesus, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They parted his raiment and cast his lots. Parallel passage, so beautiful to illustrate. Isaiah 53, verse 12. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. He was counted along with the malefactors, and he bare the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Even intercession for the ignorant and for the lethal. It's a marvelous thing, isn't it, child of God? I hope your heart rejoices at this Savior of yours and what he's done. And you think that's a marvelous thing for the Son of God to do. And that is something only he could do. And you'd be half right. You'd be half right. He is the only one who can pay the price for sin. He is the only royal sufferer. He is the only Christ. He is the 
that is anointed with the Spirit without measure. That's a beautiful thing about the Lord Jesus being called the Christ. All the other kings, all the other princes, all the other judges were anointed with the Spirit with measure, Him without. And that's how the Son of God in the flesh did His glorious works. He cast out demons by the finger of God or by the power of the Spirit. But we are called to do this too. We are not called to be the Christ. Only he could do that as the Son of God in the flesh. But we are called to forgive our executioners too. Please turn with me to Acts chapter 7. To Acts chapter 7. Where we find another man filled with the Spirit. Who by the grace of God is able to do this too. Turn with me to Acts chapter 7, verse 60. The context is Stephen being stoned, overseen by Saul, who would become Paul, we might say. And they stoned Stephen, this is verse 59, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Boys and girls, that's one of the things the Lord Jesus said from the cross too. Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. Stephen is a man animated by the power of the spirit of Christ. The spirit poured out upon his people at that glorious day of Pentecost. And he kneeled down, it says in verse 60, and cried with a loud voice. What blessed words to have as your last words. Lord, lay not this sin to their charge. And we had said this, he fell asleep. He died. They weren't the ones who had nailed him personally to the cross, like in the Lord Jesus. These are the ones who probably have him backed into a pit of some kind. And they're likely not throwing the little kind of rocks you find to skip across the water at them. They probably have big rocks. And they're hurling down upon him. This isn't the kind of things that mean and abusive children do to each other, throwing little stones and you cover your head up so it won't be that bad. These are these large rocks that if one hits you, you're done. They break bones. They cause death. And Stephen is doing by the power of the Spirit of Christ the same thing Christ has done. Father, forgive them. Lay not this sin to their charge. You and I, if we will follow the Lord Jesus Christ, and maybe even in the midst of the greatest of persecutions, have not only our Lord as our example, but we have the power of the Spirit of Christ as Stephen did to live this example. In the midst of persecution that is here, perhaps in principle, but could be coming in greater degree in the future. Remember, we must not only fight for our rights as Americans. Remember, we must not only treasure our religious liberties. But remember, when persecution does come, that we pray for those who persecute us those who take our children, those who would kill us, 
Let us pray for them. Just like the Lord Jesus prayed for his executioners. And so did Stephen. Let us. Let us by the grace of God be so exercised in the glories of who Jesus is and what he's done and the significance of the fact he's done it as the anointed one, anointed with the Spirit and be so conscious of the fact of who he is and who he has given us of his Spirit that we would depend on him for when those great sacrifices must be made by us. We will make them the way he has called us to. Being willing to pray for those indeed who may be ignorant and may be lethal. The selfless royal sufferer forgiving his executioners. But also secondly we could say showing restraint to his mockers. Showing restraint to his mockers. And this, this chapter highlights for us in these few verses an extensive array of those who are unjustly provoking him in their mockery. For those who are unjustly provoking him in their mockery. We see it with the rulers. We see it with the soldiers. And we see it with the malefactor. It's as if all the people there are mocking him, challenging him. And he is showing tremendous restraint, or at least, if you pardon the, if you pardon the presumption, the tremendous restraint that I would not have if I were in his place. And maybe that would be the same for you as well. First, the rulers, as they unjustly provoke him, We're told in verse 35, And the people stood beholding, and the rulers also with them derided him. They hold him in derision. They put their nose up at him. They look down upon him, saying, He saved others. He healed others. He forgave their sin. He was the supposed Messiah, the great king to deliver. He saved others. Let him save himself. If he be Christ, the chosen of God. If you be the Son of God in the flesh, anointed with the Spirit to bring deliverance, if you are the one who heals, and you are the one who saves, and you are the one who forgives, if you really are this person, save yourself. And the implication by the fact he didn't to them is he was not. He was not the Christ. He didn't save any of those people. And he can't save himself. It's not just the rulers that say that. It's the soldiers. The soldiers. And the soldiers also mocked him. They made fun of him. They teased him. Maybe some of us forget how much that hurts. Perhaps when you're little... You remember the other kids making fun of you and bullying you? There are times you'd rather just somebody hauled off and punched you in the face than cut you with the words. When it comes to abusing people, it's amazing how physical damage heals a whole lot faster 
than the emotional damage of words, doesn't it? And the soldiers also mocked him, coming to him and offering him vinegar and saying, If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. Similar charge. After all, there he is, hanging naked, after being mocked by the robes they put upon him and the crown of thorns pressing blood out of his head. If thou be the king of the Jews, save thyself. The rulers, the soldiers, and now the malefactor. Verse 39, And one of the malefactors which were hanged railed on him, made false charges against him, and slandered him, saying, If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And it adds to it, not only can you not save yourself, but you can't save us either. You supposedly save those other people the way the religious rulers just got done mocking you for, and you can't save us either. It's as if, as if there is one person that is being piled on by the others, and one kid takes a swing, and another kid takes a swing, and another kid takes a kick. This guy who can't defend himself. I think if I were in the place of the Lord Jesus, you know what I would do? <laughs> I would say, you want it, you got it, damn you all! And by the power of the Spirit, I would have pulled myself off that cross and proclaimed myself to be the king that I know I am! And I would be done with them! That's what I would have done. You want to fight back? Those people that tease you, those people that mock you, those people that don't appreciate you, those people that hurt you, put them in their place. They deserve it after all, don't they? Oh, we certainly do. We certainly do. Because boys and girls, he could have done it. He could have done it. They mocked him, they railed at him, they unjustly provoked him, and he shows such restraint and right of this provocation, and in light of the fact we could say it was entirely possible for him to do it. Even the signs said it. And the superscription was written over him in letters of Greek and Latin and Hebrew, this is the king of the Jews just as the people said this is not who he is the sign said this was indeed who he is and though my reasoning would have been sinful reasoning just like the reasoning of those people that railed on him was sinful reasoning he proves himself to be the great king because what does it mean he is the anointed of God what does it mean he would be the king of the Jews he understood so much better than all of them that as they were mocking him, as they were slandering him, as they were crucifying him, he was doing the work of the anointed. And it would be the great privilege of the great king to suffer and die for his people. 
How does the book of Hebrews explain what is going on? Here he is the priest that offers himself as the sacrifice through the eternal spirit. How does the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 5, describe the worthiness of the Lord Jesus in doing his work as the Christ? When God, when when mankind seems to go lost and it seems the plan of God has failed and John weeps because none can take the scroll. He's told, behold the lion of the tribe of Judah. And he looks and he sees. Remember, the lion of the tribe of Judah is the victorious king. And he looks and he sees the lion, or rather I should say the lamb rather, standing as one slave. The very fact he shows such glorious restraint in obedience to his father demonstrates the fact that all the mockers are wrong and the sign put there is true. When you're called to suffer, suffer this way. Suffer this way. Suffer with restraint. When people mock you, when people hurt you, when people reject you, it may come to the point where people torture you. It may come to the point where people put you to death. Respond this way. Respond with Christ-like, spirit-worked restraint. That we would die like Stephen's. And that we would trust in our great king, the way he trusted in his heavenly father. The distinction of how he did everything in his glorious work as the Christ. But we see him, we see him as a selfless royal sufferer, not only forgiving the executioners and not only showing restraint, perhaps we could say, to the mockers, but in making a promise to a malefactor. Making a promise to a malefactor. One of the malefactors railed on him and questioned if he was the Christ. If thou be Christ, save thyself and us. And now the contrast. But the other answering rebuked him. And he answers back to the other malefactor. Now in the other accounts, we don't find the same history the same way. This is another detail that's left out in some of the other accounts. And somehow, something by the word of God and the power of the Spirit has changed this malefactor. He's heard the other charges brought against he who is the true king. He sees perhaps the sign that is there. And as he witnesses the glorious responses of this man through the grace of God and the power of the Spirit, he begins to see this is the Christ. So he rebukes the other malefactor. Dost not thou fear God? And the answer, of course, is no. (laughs) Seeing thou art in the same condition, and we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man hath done nothing amiss. And after he confesses his guilt before the Lord Jesus and to the other malefactor, 
He said unto Jesus in verse 42, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. This is so much more than him realizing this guy's innocent. It's one thing to say, listen, quit being a jerk. We're guilty and you know it. This guy didn't do anything. He doesn't just say that. He says, when you come into your kingdom. He says, the the religious rulers don't think you're the Christ. The soldiers don't think you're the Christ. This other guy doesn't think you're the Christ. But I think you are. I think you're the king. I think you saved those people. And I think you could save me too. Notice how simple this faith is. How glorious it is. He said unto Jesus, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And then gloriously, the Lord Jesus doesn't do what a lot of us would do. Pull himself up as he's suffocating to death as he feels his flesh rip, as he's hanging there humiliated, and then as he's been mocked by all these people, look at this other guy and say, give me a break, too little, too late. Who do you think you are anyway? Can't you tell what I'm doing? I hope you don't think the Lord Jesus Christ is that way. You may have known Christians that were that way, but that's not the Christian way to act or the Christian way to live, is it? What does Jesus do in the midst of all his pain, in the midst of all his suffering, in the midst of all he is going through, bearing the humiliation and the wrath of man and the wrath of God, just like he had such tremendous time and care for these women who are mocking him on the way to the cross, as he's on the cross, when this man comes to him in faith, he says, Verily, truly, he makes this man a promise. Surely, I say unto thee, today shalt thou be with me in paradise. That's the selfless royal sufferer. In the midst of his pain, in the midst of his sufferings, and all he has to bear, he will hear the cry of the penitent sinner who simply says, remember me, save me. That's who Jesus is. The character of our Lord in his mercy, in his selflessness, the power of him in his restraint, and his patience as he is entirely dedicated to doing what his father has called him to do in dying this way. He makes a promise to a malefactor that is undeserving. And the malefactor himself said it. Dost not thou fear God, seeing thou art in the same, thou art in the same condemnation, and we... Indeed, justly, 
For we receive the due reward of our deeds. We deserve this. He confesses his sin so simply, so clearly. And he puts his entire trust in Jesus Christ, though it seems entirely contrary to what is going on. Why wouldn't you believe the religious leaders? Why wouldn't you believe the soldiers? Why wouldn't you believe the other malefactor? Why would you believe this man hanging naked on a cross waiting to die? Other than by spirit worked faith. Because as you have been made aware of your sin, you believe the word of who he is. Maybe even something as simple as believing that sign the Pharisees wanted taken off in their sin and pride, and Pilate said, No, it's going to stay. What I have written, I have written in his sin and pride. But nonetheless, though it wasn't neon, maybe before his face it flashed as true. This is the king of the Jews. Do you believe that something? That he is the Christ, the anointed of the Lord? If so, take hold of these promises in light of how he is gloriously revealed to us. And then no matter what persecution comes, no matter what struggle by the power of God and the anointing of the Spirit, we respond as our Lord himself did, as Stephen did, as this malefactor does. And we may simply die in peace, knowing, knowing we will be with him. If you're called to give up everything, what is that compared to being with him honestly deep down child of God I know you don't feel it as much as you want I know you don't feel it as much as you should but isn't it true didn't the apostle Paul say hey listen if you pardon the paraphrase listen better for me I die and go be with Jesus better for you I stay and I'm going to leave it in the hands of the Lord that's how we ought to think that by the grace of God is how we ought to live. So as the Lord would call us to, that is how we may die. Conscious of who our royal sufferer is in all his glory. So just as he gave himself for us, we may in obedience to him give ourselves to others. Amen. Let us pray. Our Lord and our God, our great Heavenly Father, we thank Thee for Thy Son, our Lord. And Lord Jesus, Thou truly art great and marvelous. Thou art the fulfiller of all righteousness, and Thou hast done all things for the salvation of Thy people. Thou, Lord, hast faced the foolishness of men and the wrath of God, and overcome every obstacle. So, Lord, teach us for the first time or afresh to put our faith and our trust in thee and find our deliverance in no other place but in thy blessed work. And let us look for strength in no other place than the spirit that thou doth pour out upon thy people. Let us remember thy glorious work and so be encouraged as thou would sustain us by that spirit. And, Lord, help us. 
Let us have a felt sense of thy presence with us. And even, Lord, if we may be called to die as thou hast died, and as Stephen was stoned, teach us to pick up our cross and follow thee. Help those, Lord, who may be wondering and struggling to count the cost, to be real about their sin, and honest with themselves and with thee as the Spirit would enlighten, so they would come to the Lord Jesus. They would hear the warning of the great King and be delivered through his sufferings and serve in joy. Lord, continue, we pray, to be with us through this Sabbath day. Strengthen us with rest and thy glorious work to do all we are called. Lord, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.